waiting for tooting your own horn this morning. Amen? Appreciate that. That was a blessing. For want of a nail, the shoe was lost. For want of a shoe, the horse was lost. For want of a horse, the rider was lost. For want of a rider, the message was lost. For want of a message, the battle was lost. For want of a battle, the kingdom was lost. And all for the want of a horseshoe nail. That's an old poem called For Want of a Nail. In 1993, when I was just 20 years old, two full years before I came to Christ, I got a job in the aerospace industry as a quality inspector in Suffield, Connecticut, a little company called Adams Industries. doesn't even exist anymore. And it was through this field that God would provide for my family and allow me to be uh, a minimally financially compensated member of two local churches after I got saved because I had a good job in the aerospace industry. And it wasn't a burden, it was a blessing. And I would stay in the aerospace industry until I went off to Bible college. And then, after I came back from Bible college, I would go into literally the exact same corner of the industry for the competitor of the company I worked for for more money. So the lesson is, if you go to Bible college, you'll make more money afterwards. And I'm just kidding. Amen. Little did I know the Lord would use it to help shape me, and particularly just thought processes. Aerospace quality was a it was a challenging field. It 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 demanded integrity, and uh, it demanded backbone when the salesperson was standing over you, wanting you to pass parts. And if you weren't done with them or they weren't good, you had to be willing to look them in the eye and say, "Get away from me." even though they wanted them gone, up to the customer. And uh, so you had to have attention to detail, and uh, per, I call it persevering watchmanship in monotony. One part out of 10,000 might be bad. You had to find it. And uh, so many of the parts that we dealt with were smaller parts, fasteners, intricate tie rods, bolts, screws, nuts, rivets. And they were parts that if you look at a, a jet engine, they are seemingly insignificant when compared to the housings or the cabins or the turbine discs. But our customers, they were various. And I, I remember uh, one particular year a customer I had where I had a... 99.999997 success rate. And I went to uh, this customer, they were in Canada at the time, and they were all the inspectors from the various places were introducing themselves. And I remember the man spoke with a thick French accent, and he, he said to me, he said, uh, after I had looked that year, I'd looked at over 500,000 parts, 500,000 parts that I had sent up to them. And I had 12 that were mismarked. And the man said to me in that thick French accent, I'll never forget it, he said, why were you not the 100%? And I remember at first being a little bit taken back, and I told him what had happened, and, and they, were, they were looking for perfection, and you say, why? Because all of those parts go 30,000 feet in the air. And they carry your family and my family. Amen? 
or they carry military pilots on important missions, and they need to work. And I think about how, especially those little parts, were so foundational to what was going to happen in the air. And I think of that verse in Psalms 11.3, and it says, If the foundations be destroyed, what can the righteous do? You know, ladies and gentlemen, in the last 50 years of our country, really 60, there have been nefarious people who have sought to destroy the very foundations of what America is. And if you don't believe that, you're not paying attention. There are literally now three generations of people in America who hate America. Who go right out there, they say we hate it. And I think about, and I, I, could, I could go into, you ought, you ought to look up sometime, uh, you know, uh, uh, Herlong was the congressman from Florida who introduced the Communist Goals for America in 1963. I looked those up sometimes. It's amazing how many of those have, have come to their uh, logical conclusion. And, and I'm not here to talk about all those things today, but I'm here to, here to I guess, discuss and say, foundations are important. I remember when I was in Bible college, we had a we, we stayed in a home that was such a blessing. Sweet a sweet lady in her uh, 70s who was widowed. <coughs> she owned this home, and it was right off campus. There were only three houses off campus. One of them was a house for a restaurant. They stocked everything there. One of them, uh, a man, uh, lived right next to us, and he worked at the car dealership that was literally, as Bill Steve Sanders knows, from here to about that wall. And uh, and then there was one other house, and we lived in that house. And this house on the side of it had a tree and the tree you know most trees grow like this this and sometimes you'll see trees that split off like this this tree grew like this and this moved and it you know what it did but the stark was it pressed on the foundation and that foundation began to bow and every time we got a gully washer of rain you know what happened in that basement water why because there was a foundation problem I think we know this according to Matthew chapter 7, verses 24 through 27, foundations matter. Uh, what, what is the man, uh, 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 the wise man? I'll liken him to somebody who built his house upon a rock. That was his foundation. And he was the one who heard the word of God and did it. But then the foolish man, the one who heard the word of God and didn't do it, what did he say about his foundation? He built on the sand. And any builder will tell you, if you build a foundation on sand, you're going to have trouble. Foundations are important. Each year when I was in Bible college, Dr. Tom Malone would walk us through the student handbook. And he would remind us that each of us was there to learn, not to teach. <laughs> and also... That while we may not understand each of the rules in the handbook, each one was there for a reason. Matter of fact, he used to tell us, we have to come up with a new appendix each year because you guys keep figuring out ways to break rules we haven't invented yet. <laughs> what I learned from my pastor during those days in New England and from Dr. Malone was to not only be 
biblical in my convictions, but also principled and biblically conservative and considerate in my preferential positions. For both of these, the key is to saturate yourself with the scriptures. The passage that we looked at today, it's Proverbs, so it'll, it'll deal with many subjects, but we, we see the same verse basically twice in Proverbs 22, verse 28, and then Proverbs verse 23, verse 10. If you look at it there, it says, Proverbs 23, 28, Remove not the ancient landmark which thy fathers have set. And then down to verse 10, chapter 23, it says this, Remove not the old landmark, and enter not into the fields of the fatherless. When God's people were getting ready to enter the promised land, he instructed them in Deuteronomy chapter 19, verse 14. He said, Thou shalt not remove thy neighbor's landmark, which they of old time have set in thine inheritance which thou shalt inherit in the land of the Lord thy God that giveth thee to possess it. And then he warned them. Deuteronomy 27, 17. Cursed be he that removeth his neighbor's landmark, and all the people shall say amen, he said. What was so important about these landmarks? What were they? Well, they were given by God, to divide the promised land. We talked about that last week as we looked at the book of Joshua. A great portion of Joshua is God dividing up the land. But then they also <clears throat> marked off property. Uh, we have some old farmers in the room. And you are familiar with the term a witness tree. What's a witness tree? It's a property marker. Sometimes it would be like on our graphic here, a little stone that was a landmark, a marker. It was handed down from generation to generation, and it was not to be moved or shifted in any way. I know we've had a man in our church years ago, and it's so sad when, when neighbors are like this. I think the story Miss Anna told today about her and her neighbor and how they just got along, had, had an issue, and got along like neighbors should, Amen. But this man had told me that him and his neighbor were, were in court over two feet of property. Wouldn't that drive you crazy to think about? First of all, spending money on a lawyer for two feet of property. Ouch. You know, I think about Merklinger's, what you had to go through. Oh, just silly. You know, it's just, my goodness. But here God clearly says, listen, we are not to remove the landmarks that have been set. Leave them alone. And God, I want to just say by way of application in this message, God has given us <clears throat> some spiritual landmarks that we just can't move, ladies and gentlemen. Churches have been moving them for 30 years, and they're going to reap the harvest of moving them. They already are in some cases. 
I think about Jude 4. We, we studied Jude for 50 weeks. And uh, Jude 4 puts it this way. There are certain men crept in unawares who were before of old ordained to this condemnation, ungodly men, turning the grace of our God into lasciviousness and denying the only Lord God in our Lord Jesus Christ. When Paul was leaving Ephesus, he would say to the pastors in Ephesus, he would say, of your own selves shall men arise speaking perverse things to draw away disciples after them. Jesus in the parable of the wheat and the tares, the wheat being the children of the kingdom and the tares being the children of the evil one said, but while men slept, his enemy came and sowed tares among the wheat and went his way. The tares are the children of the wicked one. The enemy that hath sowed them is the devil. These, listen, these are, what we're going to look at today, I believe, are God-given spiritual landmarks that man is always trying to monkey with. And it, it just can't be the pastor that says we need to stand for these things. It has to be the church. If, we, if this church is going to be what it is today and what God wants it to be until he comes... We have got to identify these landmarks and say, you know what? We're not moving that. We're not moving that. So what's the first one? Number one this morning, the landmark of the Bible. The landmark of the Word of God. Amen, amen, amen. Psalm 19, verse 7 says, The law of the Lord is perfect, converting the soul. <clears throat> the testimony of the Lord is sure, making wise the simple. Let me read you from our articles of faith here at Loomis Park Baptist Church what we believe about the Bible. We believe the Bible is to be the verbally inspired Word of God, inerrant in the original writings and our only authority in faith and practice, 2 Timothy 3.16, Exodus 34.27 and 32, Deuteronomy 4.10, Acts 1.16, 2 Peter 1.21, we believe that the King James Version is the preserved Word of God, therefore it shall be the official translation used by this church, Psalm 12.6 and 7. Listen, ladies and gentlemen, we are not budging on this old King James Bible. We're just not doing it. Everybody else can do it. They can get caught up in all the arguments in the Bible of the Month Club and all that. We are not moving from this. We are not moving this landmark. Not doing it. Just not going to do it. We believe that the Holy Spirit is the author of this word. Second Peter 1.21 tells us, For the prophecy came not in old time by the will of man, but holy men of God spake as they were moved by the Holy Ghost. We believe that man is the instrument that God used to write the Bible. God used Peter. God used Paul. God used Moses. Yes, but under divine inspiration of the Holy Spirit. And we believe that the result of this is the infallible Word of God. Heaven and earth shall pass away, but my words shall never pass away. And God promised to preserve His Word. So how do we, how do we guard the landmark of the Bible? Well, I'll tell you the first way you guard it is read it. Read it. Don't let this book... You know, listen, I've got teenagers. And uh, teenagers are unique. And you can take that any way you want it. Amen? Uh, unique is one of those great words. It's like interesting. If you meet somebody say, well, how's that guy? So, well, he's interesting. Now, interesting can mean interesting or it can mean interesting. Amen? <laughs> it's kind of like when your wife says, fine, beware. How are you today? Fine. 
we're going out to dinner tonight. I was thinking about getting you some roses. <laughs> oh, mercy. And teenagers are interesting. You know what teenagers do? Sometimes they just put their Bible on the... Whoops. I thought it was there. Amen. They put their Bible on the shelf, and they leave it there till the next service. I know some adults who do that too. Right? Read it. Read it. The best way to, to guard that landmark is to read it to know what it says. Because I'll tell you what, if you read it, you'll begin to love the God it tells you about in here. Read it. Meditate upon it. Study it. Memorize it. Teach it to your children. Listen, families, I know you got little ones. Family devotions, it might as well be like a, the Battle of Okinawa. <laughs> just trying to trying to have a, a, a regimented family devotions when you have little ones, keep doing it. Keep doing it. I need some amens from some older parents too. Keep doing it. Amen. Keep doing it. The landmark of the Bible, we're not, we're not moving it. We're not moving it. Let me give you another one. And this one's moving all the time. The landmark of salvation. Set, listen, People continually mess with salvation. There, there was an ad, and, and again, I'm, I, I got home late uh, last Sunday night, and, and it's gotten all kinds of uh, talk about it this week, but there's an ad during the Super Bowl by this, this uh, thing called He Gets Us. Let me tell you something. Those people pervert salvation. They are apostates. They pervert it. And uh, it was this whole idea that, you know, salvation is what you do. No, listen to me. It never, I'm, I, am, I am all for works after salvation. I believe that proves that you're saved. But I'm here to tell you something. Salvation is by grace through faith only, alone. Amen. That is, I recognize the fact that I'm a sinner. I cannot save myself. And I trust Jesus Christ, the one who bore my sins on the cross and rose from the dead so I could have salvation. He says, for by grace are you saved through faith, and that not of yourselves, it is the gift of God, not of works, lest any man should boast. Listen to me. Salvation is found only in Jesus Christ. It's not found in Allah or Buddha or any other false deity. This is what the Bible says. Jesus himself said, I am the way, the truth, and the life, and no man cometh unto the Father but by me. Acts 4.12 says, Neither is there salvation in any other, for there is none other name under heaven given among men whereby we must be saved. Remember, ladies and gentlemen, the Bible says in Philippians chapter 2 that one day at the name of Jesus... Every knee shall bow and every tongue shall confess that he is Lord to the glory of God the Father. Let me say, salvation is only by grace through faith alone. Salvation is found only in Jesus. Salvation is only found through the blood, the shed blood of the Lord Jesus. See, the wages of sin is death. Without the blood, there is no remission, Hebrews 9.22 says. But Romans 5.8 says, But God commendeth his love toward us, in that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. But verse 9, don't forget verse 9, Much more than being now justified by his blood, we shall be saved from wrath through him. Listen, we, we can't move the landmark of salvation. It is only through Christ. It is only by grace. It is only because of His blood. We can't move that landmark. No matter what man says, 
No matter if those that creep in want us to change that, we can't move it. We cannot move it. So there's the landmark of the Bible. There's the landmark of salvation. I think of this particular landmark as probably one of the most assaulted in our day and age. And I have to be honest, and I, please, I don't mean this to be snarky, or, but I don't give a care what you think about this. And that's the landmark of marriage. Landmark of marriage. You can't move that. You cannot move that. And, and let me just say, I know, I know we have some divorced folks here, and, and you've been through divorce, and there's very, there are very few more heartbreaking things, especially in the day and age we live in. I, I've talked to countless Christians who said, I didn't want a divorce. I didn't want it. I, 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 I told them we'll work, I'll work anything out, and that, that, that person just went ahead with divorce. But let me just say, first of all, uh, the landmark of marriage participants you can read about it in Matthew chapter 19. They, they came to Jesus and they asked him, Hey, can you divorce your wife for any cause? And they were trying to trap him. And Jesus began and he, he talked about, Go back to the garden. He says, Didn't God create them male and female? It's a landmark. Sorry. Not sorry. That's a landmark. And so he talks about marriage as participants and, and how it's of divine design, but then uh, marriage is permanence. He says, uh, uh, Moses, because of the hardness of your heart, suffered you to put away your wife, but from the beginning it was not so. And what did he say? He said, he, that, that great phrase, we use it at each wedding, he said, What God hath joined together, let not man put asunder. But then there's not only... Marriage is permanence and marriage is participants, but then there's marriage is praise. In the book of Hebrews, chapter 13, verse 4, God would say, Marriage is honorable in all, and the bed undefiled. Listen to me. If you're not married and you're physically acting like you're married, it still doesn't make you married. You know, as a matter of fact, I can read the back half of the verse. You know what it says? It says, but whoremongers and adulterers God will judge. You know what that tells me? Marriage is a lamb. You know, I've told so many young couples who were in, in living together and, and acting like they were married. I, I've said to them, go to the courthouse, get your paperwork, come in my office, I will marry you, and then you can enjoy marriage before God like he intended. I'm going to tell you something, ladies and gentlemen. This world is monkeying with that landmark. And too many Christians... I, listen, I recently a friend of mine had mentioned a, a pastor who had, had forsaken his ministry, had committed adultery and forsaken... And by the way, bless God, if a pastor commits adultery, he needs to be fired. Amen. And I had said to the, to the man, I said, you know, I'm, I'm so sorry about, not, not the man who committed adultery, just the friend. <clears throat> I said, I'm so sorry about that. I said, the man has literally forsaken his ministry. And my friend said, well, you'd like to think so, wouldn't you? But he said, <clears throat> sadly, there are churches that move the landmark of marriage to allow a divorced man to pastor. Again, if you're divorced here, <clears throat> again, 
<coughs> I, I've said to somebody recently about divorce, they said, we'd, we'd like to serve in the church. I said, wonderful. The only thing you can't be is a pastor or deacon. That's it. Other than that, there's plenty of places to serve. Amen. But you can't be a pastor or deacon if you're divorced. Why? Because the Bible says so. That's the landmark. He's to be, the deacon is to be the husband of one wife. The pastor is to be the husband of one wife. Listen, marriage is a landmark. I'm telling you the world, you think about it, it's been almost 10 years since we have court-approved, court-induced, court-forced homosexual marriage in America. And you say, what does that do to marriage? I'll tell you what it does. It weakens it. It weakens it. It's just one more attack on marriage. The landmark of marriage. By the way, how about marriage's posterity? What's marriage's posterity? Well, children are an heritage of the Lord. The fruit of the womb is his reward. What a wonderful blessing and natural byproduct of marriage that children are. Amen. The landmark of marriage. The landmark of salvation. The landmark of the Bible. And this is usually where I lose friends, or at least get some dirty looks. The landmark of standards. Second Thessalonians chapter two verse fifteen says, "Therefore, brethren, stand fast and hold the traditions which ye have been taught, whether by word or our epistles." We, what what is a landmark essentially? It's a standard. This land on this side of the landmark belongs to this person. This land on the side of the, it's a stand. It, it shows everybody where the line is. That's what it is. An identifying marker. Nowadays, if a preacher or a church has standards, if a Christian has standards, they're looked upon as judgmental, uh, legalistic, and I want to tell you this, all pastors have to draw lines concerning preferences where they're scripturally comfortable. Those that would condemn others as legalistic, they just have lower standards. See, these are people that say, well, how come you require all your choir members to uh, wear a tie or, or ladies to wear a dress? It's just, you know what, we're trying our best to maintain a distinction between men and women that the world is always trying to blur. That's what we're trying to do. I don't like it. I don't care. I really don't. I, I, honestly, biblically conservative and, and, and considerate standards are necessarily derived from the principles of the Bible. Much in a way that the infant in the womb is dependent and derives all its nourishment from the body of the mother, these standards are pieces of rebar that fasten together the foundations that are de derived from thinking biblically. And I believe thinking biblically, which includes a heart desire to be obedient to reveal truth, will lead to a biblical philosophy. If you're a leader, desire to be in a leadership role, Listen, we, we just we have some standards. We talked about separation last week. I don't need to rehash the whole message. I mean, you have to just stay away from some evil things. 
We have, we have a standard of faithfulness. We'd really like you to be here. Uh, we have a standard for, for prop, proper dress. And again, I'm not here to address every last thing, but uh, you know, we don't. I think too many churches, ladies, the yoga pants need to go. Yeah. And there's nothing modest about it. You can't read about modest apparel and say, I'm going to wear yoga pants and tight jeans to church. What you do in your home is your business and none of mine. But what you do in the church of God affects everybody. Landmark of the Bible. Landmark of salvation. Landmark of marriage. Landmark of standards. Oh, I think about this one even just this week. The landmark of godly music. The landmark of godly music. You read, and again, there's not a lot in the Bible about genres of music and whatnot, but I'll tell you what, you read in 1 Samuel chapter 16, verse 23, it came to pass when the evil spirit from God was upon Saul that David took in heart and played with his hand, so Saul was refreshed and was well, and the evil spirit departed from him. Ladies and gentlemen, I, I think that the Schwens do a phenomenal job guarding the landmark of godly music. I, I really believe they do. Can we just leave that right where it is? No matter what the world does, no matter what the worldly worship crowd does, can we just leave that landmark alone? Can we just leave it where it is? Please understand, there is some room for liberty here. I, I understand that. I, I remember, how many of you remember back when we had Dr. Mike Zachary and he did our hymn fest and he did such a great job explaining the liberty within godly music. But I'll tell you what, this week, this week, one of our own members who has a, a daughter in a Christian school in the area, Christian school, <clears throat> go to a basketball game and they're playing ACDC before the game. The same band that wrote Hell's Bells and Highway to Hell and Hell Ain't a Bad Place to Be, where the lead singer died at 29 years old, choked on his own vomit, and is probably in hell. A Christian school! How does that happen? I'll tell you exactly how it happens. They take out their shovel, and they dig up that landmark, and they move it over here. And then the next generation digs it up and moves it over here. Listen, keep it right back there where it belongs. It's a long way from and can it be and it is well with my soul to ACDC. But it's a short step from Christian rock to ACDC. It's ridiculous. It's absolutely ridiculous. Godly music. Leave it alone. Say, well, it's a little too conservative here. Thank God for it is what you ought to do. Because there are a lot of churches where it's way too not enough conservative. I could, listen, I could go on. I have pages of quotes about rock music here. From rock musicians telling you exactly what it is. I'll tell you what, just leave that landmark alone. Leave it alone. Godly music. I, I think about Christ, the term Christian rock. I remember my pastor years ago, somebody said about Christian rock, he said, well, it's like soft rock. And my pastor said, have you ever been hit with a soft rock? <laughs> I thought that was funny. Oh. You know, listen, rock and roll was a term for fornication. When you hear the term rock and roll, that's what it means. Fornication. 
say Christian cigarettes? No, it's ridiculous, isn't it? Christian cocaine? No. Christian whiskey? No. Christian pornography? No. Some things you can't Christianize. And I want to tell you something, rock music is one of them. Landmark of the Bible, landmark of salvation, landmark of marriage, landmark of standards, landmark of godly music. Let me give you two more. And there's more. I could, I could go on with landmarks till kingdom come here. Number six, the landmark of gathering together in the local church. Here's what the Bible says. I, I quote this verse on social media almost weekly. I find myself quoting it. It says, in not forsaking the assembling of yourselves together as the manner of some is, but exhorting one another and so much the more as you see the day approaching. Listen, barring employment, emergency, sickness, I believe every Christian should be in their local church when the door squeaks, when the lights are on. Ladies and gentlemen, we need each other. I need you. I'm telling you, I need you. Coming up in these days, I, I don't know what, what the Lord has in our future. I know my wife is having a 12-hour surgery 10 days from today. I need my local church. I won't be able to be here that Wednesday. I'll be in the hospital. But I need people in their place praying. How do churches go astray? Individual members... And heaven forbid, sometimes pastors, deacons, move the landmark of gathering together to less. They start, we have four services a week here. Sunday school, Sunday morning, Sunday night, and then we have a midweek service. A couple times a year we'll have missions conference, maybe a special meeting. Start going to less services. Now, I do understand, sometimes we have a potluck, sometimes I think of uh, fall when we have our car show, we won't have an evening service that night. I think you folks get what we're trying to do there, okay? Trying to reach out to people. But by and large, you go from three to four services a week to one to two. You know what? That is in direct opposition to the verse that says, we are not to forsake the assembling of ourselves together as the manner of some is, but exhorting one another, and so much the more is what it says. It's not time for less church. It's time for more church. It's time for gathering together more. Ladies and gentlemen, we come to God's house. 1 Timothy 3.15 calls it God's house, the church house, to worship our Savior and to obey the Word of God and to be educated in the Word of God and to be challenged by the preaching of the Word of God, to be inspired, to encourage one another, to edify one another, to help one another. Again, now is not the time for less attendance. It's time for more. So much the more. Don't move that landmark. By the way, support a pastor who's making sure that landmark isn't removed with your attendance. You know why some pastors just throw in the towel? Because they prepare meals on Wednesday night and Sunday night 
and we've got to throw a bunch of them away because people aren't there to eat them. Exactly right. Landmark of the Bible. Landmark of salvation. Landmark of marriage. Landmark of standards. Landmark of godly music. Landmark of gathering together. A landmark of soul winning. Reaching people. That, listen ladies and gentlemen, we can gather here and we can say, yeah, to the landmark of the Bible and yeah, to the landmark of salvation and yeah, to the landmark of marriage, especially that one. That's our real amen right there. And yeah, to the landmark of standards and yeah, to godly music and yeah, to gathering together and let people die and go to hell. Shame on the church that would hold those first six landmarks and not the seventh. Listen. You ought to make it your business each week of the world to share Christ with somebody, some way, some form. It's one of the reasons why I believe God's blessing our free Bibles outreach. We're just, we're just out there with, we're holding up Bibles with the gospel inside, Brother John. The gospel's in there. To be able, somebody to pull over and just be able to talk to somebody. They pulled over. we got some new signs that we have made up. I love them. I saw them already. They came in. It says, can we pray for you? Pull over. One of them says, Jesus loves you, and so do we. I, I, I love that. I thought, I thought about the kids, you know, kids being able to hold up a sign like that and stuff. It's to just have some, imagine somebody comes over, and they, they, their spouse has been diagnosed with cancer. And they pull over, and we say, hey, what can I pray for you about? And they say, my wife has cancer. And it just so happens that I'm the one that gets to pray with them. And said, well, let me tell you something. My wife right now has been going through cancer. And be able to talk and be able to pray with them and then be able to say, can I ask you a question? If you were to die today, are you 100% sure that you would go to heaven? You say, what are you doing there? What does what, what any of our, our people do? Just trying to be a gospel witness. Just trying to be a soul winner. Here's what the Bible says about it, Acts 1.8, But ye shall receive power after that the Holy Ghost has come upon you, and ye shall be witnesses unto me, both in Jerusalem, that's Jackson, and in all Judea, Michigan, and in Samaria, United States, and unto the uttermost part of the earth, missionaries. This matter of soul winning Reaching people with the gospel. Reaching people with the word of God. By the way, the Holy Spirit does the winning. Anybody who's truly won to Christ, the Holy Spirit won them. But he uses people. He uses people. That could simply take the word of God like Philip and that Ethiopian eunuch and just say, do you understand this? Can I show you what this means? How easy it is to be saved. Witnessing, giving the gospel, confronting men and women and boys and girls is the heartbeat of the church. And when the heart stops beating, the body dies. Listen, folks, we've just got to determine as a church body, we're not going to move these landmarks. I don't care if everybody does and fills the Coliseum of Los Angeles with people because they move the landmarks. I don't, listen, I don't care how many people that a megachurch has. I would love to see us have more people, but I'd rather have 
less people that say, we're not moving the landmarks, than to have a whole bunch of people that say, well, why don't we move this landmark, and why don't we move that landmark, and why don't we move, no, we're not doing it. Not going to do it. I would rather have a smaller, healthy body than a big, bloated, sick body. Don't move the landmarks. I'm committed to not moving the landmarks, but you've got to be committed. Landmark of the Bible. Don't move it. We're not, we're not going away from this old King James Bible until the Lord comes. Landmark of salvation. Salvation is by grace through faith. It's through Christ alone. It's through His blood. That's it. The landmark of marriage. One man, one woman. The landmark of standards. Godly standards. Men ought to look like men. Ladies ought to look like ladies. It is required in stewards that a man be found faithful, the Bible says. Landmark of godly music. We're just, we're not going that worldly route. We're just not doing it. We're going to keep it conservative and considerate. And if ever the world laughs at us, that's fine. They've been laughing at Christians for a long time. The landmark of gathering together. We'll meet tonight. Hope to see you. Can't make it, we love you, but we'll meet tonight. We'll meet Wednesday night. We'll meet for Sunday school next week, Lord willing. We'll meet for Sunday morning, amen. Gathering together and then the landmark of soul winning. When's the last time you shared Christ with somebody? Gospel track. Free Bibles outreach. Saturday visitation. Somehow, some way. Christian, you've got to make that your business because it's Father's business. Let's not move these landmarks. Father, we love you.